Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Aha! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Sorry, that was just a noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the bean. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're all right, packing. Basically, Beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? Hello, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Think of us as the Alan-themed podcast that's been travelling down from Sunderland every week for years, only to this week be nudged over by so many other podcasts on the Alan gravy train that we're in danger of falling off the staging that they've borrowed from Crufts. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. As Kirsty Stop says, a well-fed dog is a slow dog. Nick Alder. Martin Cow, And Tom Stab. Have no fear, little one. I'm here to protect thee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gone for the limb. Oh, genuinely the limb. more scary than Dark Lynn, that was. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were a dead cert to go for the, uh, there's a shuttlecock up there. Oh no, the other one I was going to go for was, get a room! <laughs> 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 so uh, a special hello first and foremost to those of you listening in Cameroon, Liberia, the Libyan Arab Jamahiria, uh, Moldova, <laughs> Paraguay, Suriname, Syrian Arab Republic, Venezuela, Yemen, American Samoa, St. Barthélemy, uh, Guam, St. Vincent and Samoa. Would anyone care to guess why? Oh, can I guess? Yes. Is it countries that have a warrant out for producer Jed's arrest? <laughs> <laughs> Very close. 
But uh, there's only 14 countries on this list. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> those are all the countries where Monkey Tennis has had one single listen uh, across all the time we've been broadcasting. So uh, wow. amazing. A truly international crowd there. Um, <laughs> we should quickly say at the top of the show, um, if you are listening to us and you enjoy what you're hearing, please do subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Drop us a review on iTunes uh, and you can get in touch with the show. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, contact details which we'll throw up at the end of the program. Don't throw um, up at them. <laughs> <laughs> we, should talk, we should talk about this week in Allen before we get on to episode two, shouldn't we? Yeah, it's been another uh, week with a lot of Allen news. Uh, almost, almost too much to a point. We're trying to focus on getting one episode done at a time, and they Steve. keep on announcing new things. Stop it! <laughs> Uh, so I guess the main headline this week is that we now know that they will soon be filming a new Alan series. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's a second series of this time. It's something slightly different. Uh, do we know any more than that? Uh, yeah, so the Gibbons brothers were in an interview on uh, another podcast, which uh, should we name it? I don't think we need to. They do a lot better than we do. Um, and they were saying that there is a new series which they're going to start filming in May, and it's Alan trying out a different format. That's all we know. So that is quite quite interesting don't know what it's going to be could i speculate wildly for a second please do please do they've they've obviously said uh in several q a's interviews etc they've tried to uh express the fact that michael is is not as dead as we thought i wonder if there's some kind of uh michael and me human interest road to redemption <laughs> documentary here oh. where alan takes a, di- a disadvantaged man from his own life and tries to sort of help him to better himself I would certainly Michael, love to see that. <laughs> Michael and Me, the sequel to Mac and Me, which was the McDonald's-sponsored film, of course. Exactly. Only the film E.T. could have been. <laughs> or, or, or could it even be the, the, the search for Michael? Something like that. Some kind of harrowing documentary. <laughs> I like that, yes. Yeah, so what's like a, basically a sort of Philomena-esque quest for knowledge. Brilliant. But, but, a, com- but yeah. a comedy one. Would watch. Would watch. Yeah. We're, we're just giving them great ideas at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, it's not too late to scrap there, what though, they Nick. had planned. Um, uh, other other news this week. Uh, we should certainly talk about comic relief. Yeah. yeah. So um, the, the, again, the Gibbons brothers uh, confirmed that um, there would be a comic relief sketch for Alan. He has filmed that. They have filmed that sketch. And um, I seem to remember that was, I think, Friday the 15th of March. So not That's too correct. far away. Not too far away. We're going to be getting a, a nice little yeah, bit of correct. bonus, a nice little bit of bonus Alan. That will place it between episodes three and four of this time. Um, and obviously it follows a long tradition of Alan being featured in Comic Relief. We've done uh, an episode, two episodes, in fact, about Alan's hmm. various uh, charitable ventures for Comic Relief over the years. Um, so another bit of uh, news of the week in Alan there have been synopses of the third and fourth episodes in the series of this time uh, have gone live does anybody have the uh, the intel on what we can expect uh, yeah I found these on the British comedy guide uh, so series one episode three there is exciting news about the show's new presenting lineup and Alan and Jenny look at topics including Scottishness vegetarianism <laughs> and corporal punishment episode four uh, now more established as the show's co-host Alan is able to produce the kind of brave no-nonsense TV other broadcasters can only dream of today he talks police dog bravery and product placement before meeting his own celebrity lookalike now what we do know about the celebrity lookalike I believe the Gibbons brothers also talked about this. This is where it's also Coogan playing that part, and it's an Irishman, and he sings some kind of pro-IRA songs. 
I feel like that is either going to be incredible or it's going to be very, very obvious that it's Coogan on Coogan and that will take you out of the moment. I hope it's the former. Well, I think I'm pretty sure Boyd Hilton said it was a real highlight of the series, but yeah, I'm friend of, friend of the show, Boyd Hilton. That's the one. <laughs> uh, a real highlight. <laughs> I'm making an early prediction and saying that um, the celebrity lookalike section could be the highlight of the series. I've got high hopes for that. Oh, and police, and and police dogs. I was going to say, police dog police dogs. Yeah. <laughs> that, that wasn't me doing an impression of a police dog, by the way. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> So that wraps up this week in Alan News. It's time to now go on to episode two of This Time. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, so this episode opened with a strong language warning, um, which I thought was quite strange because he only says fuck once and types and there's a typed bullshit. Uh, excuse me. I do have to uh, make a point there. There is a written cocksucker. Oh, I do apologize. <laughs> do we think that that's essentially because it's on the BBC uh, and it's on BBC one this time and it's on at 930 and they're worried that there's probably a broader audience that could be offended by such language at that time. Does the watershed still exist? Is that still a thing? Yes, it yes it yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think what you'll find is, they'll, with Ofcom regulations, there'll be a certain amount of swear words and particular swear words that you're allowed on air at a certain time. So it might be a case you're only allowed one fuck between 9.30 and 10. Something like that. Makes sense. Don't say fuck or bugger. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Uh, this is an episode dripping with disdain for the general public, isn't it? Not just from Alan's point of view, but I think almost from the point of view of, of, of the makers of the program. The whole thing seems engineered to to illustrate that the general public, specifically sort of one show type viewers, are basically idiots who love fame. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're thick and they love John Baskin. Yeah. John Basket. <laughs> Sadly missed. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the joke that opens the show uh, it's another one of those a bit like in Mid Morning Matters and I'm Alan Partridge where you have a sort of cold open and it takes a second mm. to find out what Alan's phone in is or something like that so this time obviously you see him just kind of 
uh, furiously rehearsing a point that 30 seconds later he's <laughs> pretending is completely off the cuff. <laughs> also, when uh, when Alan says it falls to tell, it falls to me to tell you he has gone. It makes him sound like, like that John Baskell is some kind of like Christ-like figure. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone else? Passed. Did uh, did everyone else kind of see where it was going based on the opening of what Alan was practicing and doing? Not on the uh, first no, watch, I have no. to say, because because obviously all you all you hear him saying is you know a few times, yeah. so it's a bit you 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 you, th- you might think oh he's just practicing a bit of the script for the this time show, but the fact he's practicing something he's going to pretend is off the cuff is obviously the payoff, which you're not going to necessarily understand straight away. Um, I did also like part of the opening uh, when he says, colleague and tireless man. I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. that. He really was a relentless human being. Um, he also yeah. uh, says that, that John, John Baskell has passed away at uh, age 65. If you look at the screen behind Alan, it says that John Baskell was born in 53, died in 2019. Therefore, it is a chronological impossibility that he was 65 years old. Alan must have got his, his year wrong, his, his age wrong by at least a year. Oh, that's amazing. Good spot. Yeah. Uh, uh, John... Unless if that would all... Oh, or is that one of those things that would come down to when his birthday is? No, I think it's it's ev- regardless of when his birthday is. I he couldn't have he couldn't have passed uh, okay. into his sixty fifth year. I believe cool. maths fans do correct me. I'm I'm sure someone will uh, pull us up on that if, if possible. Uh, did you also notice use of the word inception on this opening monologue as well? Yes, and a point that I'll make and a point sorry a point that I I noted was that he delivers that line in a very similar way to how he delivers it on mm. Mid Morning Matters as well. Yeah. Does anyone else feel like that's a bit of an Easter egg for the more diehard fans? I perhaps? hope so. I hope so, yeah. because in which case, we all spotted it. So. Like. <laughs> I, I certainly feel well done us. Don't you feel like this episode is laden with callbacks and Easter eggs as well? Much more so than the first one. I think we've got quite a few to come. Well, I, I think, well, I mean, obviously we're only two episodes in, but it wouldn't surprise me if there are lots of those in each episode mm. going forward. And I think they perhaps don't reveal themselves until repeated viewings, because I think I've seen, I've seen it three times before recording tonight and each time I've noticed different things as well. Yeah, so there same. may well be things that we haven't picked up on. Um, yep. sp- speaking of things to pick up on, uh, did you spot uh, psychic Simon in the background whilst Alan dives into his monologue? And I thought the look on his face you know Simon kind of knows what's going on, yeah, uh, which I've... is revealed a bit more later. But obviously Jenny is just looking confused and kind of like yeah. motioning, like saying what. And, and similarly, the way, that the, um, the way that they use the camera crew kind of frantically cutting from camera to camera, yeah. you can tell from that that they obviously didn't, didn't know to, ex- to expect this either. Yeah. Only Simon had an, had an idea of what was coming, as <laughs> I, we find I, out I, later. I would hazard a guess that perhaps Lynn knew what was going to happen as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I expect Lin- <laughs> not, Lin's in it. Not that that's of any help to anyone. Uh, well, no, not at the moment. Uh, do we get into the Sparrow story now? Well, I was just yeah. I mean, genuinely, what is the point of that story? <laughs> like, where is it going? I mean, he the the payoff to that story is basically let's just get on with it. So <laughs> it's kind of it's building up to nothing. But yeah. it takes really about ninety point. seconds. <laughs> it takes ninety seconds for him just to say essentially, let's just get on with it. Um, but, but Nick, interesting today to know that sparrows can smile. <laughs> yeah, and today, Nick, we're all sparrows trapped in tunnels, vulnerable and frightened. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's an amazing point. That if yeah. his overriding summary is "let's get on with it," why <laughs> deliver a pretend off-the-cuff monologue for ninety seconds? I would say that this bit is obviously it's not particularly funny. But what I would say is that the 
just like the small little details in him, like sort of flicking open his jacket pocket, putting his hand in his pocket. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, uh, ch- chucking the cue card on the floor yeah. as well. I love that bit. <laughs> and then the whole section. So and then the whole section of him just walking up to that little stage bit and hopping up and crossing his legs. And I yeah. think just the whole section. Great physical comedy. The whole section is just. A, just a fantastic sort of piece of acting and delivery from Coogan. There's quite a lot of stuff in this episode, and I think in this time that we've seen so far, where it's almost Coogan the actor is the more impressive thing than Coogan the comedian. Like, there's some sections mm-hmm. that aren't particularly funny, but they're so brilliantly played by him, just as sort of straight, as a straight man, that I'm just kind of like, I'm going to call it now, he will probably win a BAFTA for this, because I just think the acting itself is so strong. He's really great. Mm. It's also the physicality of this bit and the way he sort of jumps up cross-legged on the stage and things like that. It's, it's like a man who's been raised on films where he's seen newscasters, TV presenters, you know, break convention. You know, he's watched Network and films like that. He's trying and to so do his he's, Network, he's, yeah. He's, yeah. Sort of, he's sort of aping that, but, but, but what he's saying is of no real consequence. <laughs> there's, no, there's no gravity or even a real point to it other than let's just get on with it. And, and it's also an extremely long monologue about John Baskell to not mention John Baskell at all. <laughs> <laughs> that that is the other main point to this, I think. Yeah, is that it's got nothing to do with John whatsoever. Brilliant. Yeah, and just the classic timing of quick cuts to Jenny, who looks completely baffled by the whole thing, doesn't have a clue what's going on, and frankly, who can blame her? <laughs> it, it gives you a good sense of how oversized that studio is as well. The fact, as we've discussed, every step is too long, too wide. Uh, every kind of platform is a bit too high to easily get up to, and it, it's cavernous basically. Yeah, ridiculous. Um, the camera angles settle back on him as he says, it's time for this time. So that indicates that they knew how he was going to end that monologue and they knew how he was going to start it, but everything <laughs> in the middle was absolute wildcard material. Yeah, so p- perhaps in the uh, APU, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps the, the thing is he was supposed to deliver a 90-second monologue about John and move from one position to the other, but obviously he was just uh, just speaking off the cuff. Exactly. Sorry, speaking completely off the cuff. <laughs> Um, I had a quick note about the this time intro sequence as well, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys think about this. Uh, I thought it was interesting that in that sequence, John is always pictured eating or drinking something. <laughs> just, planting sm- just planting a small seed of unhealthiness. I mean, it's only like a cup of tea and some toast or something, but you don't see Jenny doing that. So when we come back after the credits, uh, Jenny describes this as a sad show. I actually thought she didn't seem very bothered at this point. Uh, I'd agree. She just says, it's a sad show, which is understating it. And she says, you know, it will be sad for many of you at home. And Alan's left to say all of you because he's trying to sort of out-grief her. Yeah. Uh, she also says, John and I were very close colleagues. Note, no, she doesn't say friends. And I wondered, does she know, uh, parallels with Jimmy Savile obviously starting to appear already, <laughs> uh, BBC presenter Charitable Foundation hints that colleagues suspected something, a segment later where someone writes to him as a child, all the hallmarks are there. Do you think that Jenny, Jenny does know at this point that there are rumours about John? I don't think she does. I don't think she does. And also, um, I think there's one bit where she goes, oh, having a bit of a wobble there where she kind of, and then she sort of greets mm. Sam later on and she's a bit sad. I think, I think she is sad, but I think she's also doing her job. Yeah, I, that's, that's, that's it. So I, um, had a little note around the fact that Alan interjects, um, Jenny's little, you know, opening a uh, few lines by saying, uh, I knew John too. And Jenny yeah. doesn't even stop to acknowledge it, which is kind of evident that 
Jenny is just reading off a script at this point. Like it's not it's not a free formed thought. She's just reading off a script. Alan's interjected to try and get a point in or to make it clear that he also knew John too. But uh, I like that Jenny doesn't even stop, acknowledge, or look at him. Simply moves on as a consummate professional. I think I think it's simply at this point she is just putting the presenter face on in very much that kind of upbeat, jolly, one-show tone. So she's trying to not access any personal emotion and just just get on with it, basically. Yeah, I think yeah. so. She's boarded the train with the destination. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. They talk then at this point that there's uh, there's lots of tweets on the tweet wall. Um, some of them they read out, some of them they don't. I've, I've kept a, a running record of all the tweets uh, that come in about John as they come in. She obviously suggests the hashtag uh, this time... Alan suggests the alternative hashtag, uh, John Gone. Um, I, I love you... the way he tees that up as well. He says, or if you prefer simply, John Gone. He doesn't <laughs> give a bollock, does he? No, well, and from, and from say... that point sorry, on... Go on. Uh, sorry, um, uh, from that point on, almost all the tweets go for John Gone <laughs> over this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That actually <laughs> trended at number six in the UK on Twitter last night. Oh, for oh, I real? Think it actually got, I think it actually got up to three oh, for did real, it? didn't it? Oh, yeah. wow. Um, uh, just a few things. Can you remember how the different ways that the uh, the tweets uh, or the tweet map is described? Uh, what, like the mosaic of mourning? We have a mosaic of mourning, a collage of commiseration, <laughs> and a graph of <laughs> grief. Um, yeah. Alan labours the point that it's not a graph, but um, it's not a collage either. <laughs> And it's also not a mosaic. <laughs> no, 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 true. Um, there's a little bit of foreshadowing from Jenny here where she says that that, uh, that graph of grief, collage of commiseration, etc., uh, has been designed, and I quote, to help us get a picture of just how many of you he touched. Uh, so I thought, oh, that's, uh, great spot. Yeah, there's a couple of those from her throughout the episode. I'm not saying that she necessarily knew what was coming. I doubt she, I doubt she would have said, put it that way if she did. But uh, yeah, there's a couple of uh, hints in, in the language there. Yeah, it's, it's probably not that. It's probably the writers having a bit of fun with it, isn't it? I would imagine. Yeah. And then uh, obviously Alan sort of loses his train of thought a little bit, looks absentmindedly up to the sky. Jenny asks if he's okay, and uh, he notices that uh, oh, there's a shuttlecock up there, which is a bit of a throw. <laughs> away gag obviously comes back as a bit of a punchline later yeah can i just say at this point i thought even if even if we never heard from that shuttlecock again i thought that was decent yeah it was a good line yeah i enjoyed it yeah um, i'd I, I, I would i wasn't expecting there to be a payoff of of that gag i thought that was the gag and even yeah. re-watching second time i'd forgotten about the payoff so enjoyed <laughs> it twice um so they've invited 40 guests and borrowed the staging from crufts um, I thought it was interesting. Does that are we to take from that that they don't usually have staging? Because I thought a lot of these people used to come every week. I mean, where did they sit? <laughs> uh, is that a continuity error, or do they borrow the staging from Crufts on the reg? I don't know. Yeah, not or to, have they brought in more people? Perhaps not to mm-hmm. not to skip ahead a bit. Obviously, Ted from Sunderland he comes that used to come down twice a week. So if they ha- they didn't have a studio yeah. audience last week, so although he isn't always let in, that I is do true. Say later yeah. on as well. So <laughs> yeah. I don't we'll know. Get if, we'll, we'll get to, get to Ted. It. Yeah. I I mean, uh, hopefully quick. these people aren't just coming down to stand outside the studio in the hope of shaking John's hand and not getting to see any of the show. It might be a case, uh, and this is the sort of thing that might happen with the one show, where they have room for a very small audience occasionally if it suits what's happening in the show that day. So it might be a case that occasionally they might have 10 or 20 people in a corner of the studio, whereas this time, due to the grieving, they brought in 40. Although, side point to that, uh, Alan says 40 people. Did anybody count how many there actually are? Amazing. No. No. Uh, no, how many? 
It's 37. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did we all enjoy, even though it's a bit of a well-worn joke that they cut to the audience, there's a solo cough, and then they come back. <laughs> yeah, that's gold. It's a bit like the footsteps gag in the previous episode, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Just that, yeah. feeling that, science, uh, that feeling that silence and the vacuum around it. Uh, there's a bit of jostling about uh, how rare a woman like Jenny is, whether she's one in a million, one in a billion, one in a trillion, etc. Uh, Alan thinks that one in a million is accurate because statistically there are 65 <laughs> women of her standard or higher. Yeah, it's <laughs> an exclusive club. <laughs> um, go on. J- j- just to skip back ever so slightly, when Alan's talking about, he he says, "I'll stick around on this show as long as she needs me, particularly with you being so vulnerable." I'd swear there's a little glance down at the cleavage when he says that line. Go back <laughs> yes, and I take think, a look, Alan. I think you're right. <laughs> predatory partridge oh um, they then uh, pay tribute to uh, a man that audiences came to know simply as John Baskell Alan <laughs> um, but that is that, that is again like that's him just going off the script isn't it like the script will just read the audiences came to know as John you know first name terms it was like you know your friend uh, it wasn't he wasn't the TV presenter but Alan has uh, just added in Baskell and gone off script and that completely like takes all the weight out and emotion out of that line is that because he wants it to be accurate or because he wants to have the last word before it cuts to the vt i don't read it like that at all i think i i think we're establishing alan doesn't like john full stop and i think he doesn't like the idea that he's so beloved in the nation that he's simply known as john Ah, because if you think if you think about the level of famous you need to be to be a one-name person if you're like madonna or prince to be John, which is the most common name there <laughs> yeah. is. Above He's, Lennon. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously, in a way, that is the joke. But I think it's Alan just doesn't want to... Um, play along with him being so beloved in the nation. So I think he's like, no, it's not just John. I think you're yeah. right. I think there's, there's an underlying theme through this whole episode as well, which is very much uh, about the way that the public handle uh the death of a famous person as well Mm -hmm. it's you know uh, lots of there's lots of uh, not to spoil or go ahead too much lots of badly written uh ill thought out (laughs) tweets you know people trying to recount really minor encounters with the person that's died that are of no consequence like you know people in in the audience later on who, who you know claim to have this great connection with john yet you know they wrote to him every month and he never wrote back like this sort of forced kind of uh what's the word um like performative grief is something that comes yeah. up a lot through through the episode uh starting with with audiences coming to know him simply as john i guess that weird relationship as well between the audience and the the celebrity as it were where they consider him to be a friend and it's like well there's no way he was really their friend no no in fact he it, as we learned he had some opportunities to be more like their friend and he opted not to take them <laughs> exactly so um alan pays some sort of weird tribute uh, involving elton john this is one of my favorite jokes of the series um because there's a bit where he, he basically he, it's a joke about elton john that simultaneously makes fun of the fact that he recycled candle in the wind for marilyn monroe and then princess diana but also has its cake and eats it by also being a joke about the fact that those are the only two people that he wrote it for because <laughs> yeah. he says marilyn monroe princess diana the list goes on we know the list doesn't go on um so it seems what the Gibbons and Steve have done there is basically wrestled two jokes from one sentence that are mutually exclusive. You can't, you can't have them both, and yet somehow they both work. 
Um, did you know that Candle in the Wind is the second highest selling single of all time? It sold 33 million copies worldwide. Hell. Yeah, it was number one that here and in the US. Uh, it's only behind Bing Crosby's White Christmas, which has sold 50 million singles worldwide. And is it not the biggest selling single in the UK still? Yeah, well? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess it must be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Madness. <laughs> uh, can we do some outfit watch on this VT segment? Oh yes, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Alan's turtleneck. <clears throat> well, there we go. It's it's a black polo neck as worn by uh, such luminaries, including Steve Jobs and uh, Tom Stab. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got. I, yeah, I mean, those are the only two people who have worn them. Absolute visionaries and entrepreneurs. What can I say? Legends in their game. Me and Jobsy. Yep. I just like a turtleneck. God, sorry, the, pick up the, there, This yeah. is the beginning of, uh, as we mentioned in the opening credits, um, ongoing references to John's size. Uh, Alan mentions that he was bigger than a mere candle, uh, more like an oil rig, uh, because he drew on huge reserves of energy and was quite squat. Um, Alan also claims that Scotland's oil and gas will run out long before John's legend. Uh, I, I was expecting a joke that never came here about the fact that there were only maybe 40 to 50 years of fuel reserves left. Yeah. And that's why. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I think maybe they thought that, that that was too simple a joke. Uh, so he just says instead that there was broad agreement that John was good. Oh, I love, I love, I love that. That, that is great. That's so good. Uh, so obviously he, he, he like it. So setting up that segment, he says that uh, unlike a candle in the wind, it's, his life was more like an oil rig flare stack in a North Sea gale. I thought that was brilliant script. That really made me laugh. And also just before then, the fact he just chucks a candle on the floor. Yeah, it's also just yep. a nice small detail. Yeah. He's, he's throwing a lot of things on the ground this yeah. episode, isn't he? Cue cards, candles. It's all got to yep. go. Um, he uh, he then <laughs> goes in, in the deep end on John's size. John had a real appetite for this donut-shaped building. He's at the, uh, the old BBC building. And snaffled his way along the corridors, gorging on opportunity as he chomped his way to the top. His break, his big break, or mouthful, uh, coming yep. in 1985 with the BBC getaway. Uh, yeah. That's also, pretty al- it? also, at this point, uh, Alan attempts, attempts to stay talking for a full 360-degree camera shot, but fails to turn his yep. neck enough and ends up uh, squeaking through, uh, through the side of his mouth. Uh, did anybody else just love seeing Alan back in front of uh, TV Centre as well? I thought that was great. Yeah, this whole yeah. section was brilliant. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I, I liked the uh, description of Getaway, which included uh, John sampling cooked breakfasts in the blazing sunshine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's such a like it, it, that that kind of holiday travel show that just doesn't really exist. Like seeing that really does kind of like typify like late eighties, early nineties TV, where yeah. presenters would literally go on a holiday and go, you know, I'm in Spain for the week. It's absolutely brilliant here. <laughs> I'm just like absolutely lording it up for a week. It's like, was, it, was it top us up, Pedro? Was it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> was it holiday on the bbc and wish you were here on itv yeah, yeah. or something like yeah, that yeah yeah. yeah yeah but yeah that's exactly yeah. what the show is it's brilliant uh, is this where we start to enter john's golden period oh, yeah <laughs> Ooh, well, ju- just quickly i did think alan can barely contain his glee when he's talking about getaway having terrible reviews yeah. as well a great show yeah. terrible, terrible reviews, reviews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and a, a couple of script things before we get into uh john's other tv work thought this was a very interesting choice of words when Alan saying the success of John on Getaway alerted the BBC's early warning system to John's <laughs> talents. So not the potential bad things we learn about earlier, uh, but I thought that was... Is that a bit of a dig at the BBC about not picking up on things like Savile, etc., perhaps? Um, and also, he says, he was now a big fat blip on their radar. <laughs> <laughs> He's massive. Right, so we, who wants to oh, go through John's golden era of programmes? 
Uh, I'm happy to list them off. Um, did uh, anyone uh, read the synopsis of each of the shows as well? Yes. Yeah, I've screen grabbed all of them. I personally, I don't, I'm not sure if anyone agrees here, but I was looking for some real gold. There's, there's a couple of nuggets, but I thought that they would be a lot funnier than they were. They were actually quite functional descriptions, which yeah. that's fine. I, you know, just, you know, that would obviously be the case. But I thought there was a nice opportunity there to get some additional bonus gags in. And there's a couple, but not as many as I expected. Yeah, I agree. I, I think is it more it's mocking the actual TV formats of the era, isn't it, than the specific details and the synopsis you get. And I also think doing the screen grabs, I think what they've actually done is these have been pasted over genuine Radio yes. Times listings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I I just want to get, get to this because I thought this was quite fun. Uh, with the first one, Scotland's Strongest Man, underneath that you've got 805 Casualty, uh, Benny and the Vets Part 1. That is a real casualty episode and that aired on the 13th of November 1999. Deep, deep detail. <laughs> it really is. Uh, so, yeah, Nick, do you want to take us through the the other programmes? Uh, yes. So we have um, Scotland's Strongest Man, uh, Cash Chaser, uh, Britain's Holiest Him, that's co-hosted by Cheryl Baker, uh, Fly Tip Squad, Britain by Balloon, which is co-hosted by Annabel Croft, uh, Gibraltar CID. Uh, question to the group, which of those would you commission in real life? Oh god, Flight Tip Squad! I'm all over, <laughs> absolutely yeah, all over Flight Tip Squad. I, I like to also, I like to also that Flight Tip Squad. Uh, you can tell from the uh, the additional information that that was uh, on TV during the days that CFAX was still a thing. Yes, as well. Um, and fa- fans it, of the pod know that we're all big fans of CFAX here. Well, it would, be, it. it would be. <laughs> It would be cash chaser for me, just because I'm very curious about uh, whether or not contestants can reach the money cave. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 love, I love a contrived game show. <laughs> yeah. Um, was Gibraltar CID as well? It kind of, it reads like a, a soap or like a drama, but I'm assuming it was a fly-on-the-wall camera show where they go to Gibraltar I think so. and follow. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine the CID unit of Gibraltar is particularly big, although uh, I did enjoy the description where basically they'd found like 50 bottles of Perno and were just keen yeah. to track down the owner, <laughs> like riveting <laughs> TV. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe like it's like a real-life Bergerac, basically. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm imagining. Yeah. Uh, I've got an idea. Shall we run a poll uh, where we each pick our favourite show and then we put it on Twitter to see which garners the most support from our listeners and uh, Netflix have to commission whichever one gets the most <laughs> yes. votes. Great idea. <laughs> along, yes, with ice, along with Ice Pups. <laughs> have, uh, have Netflix signed up for this? I can't believe that Ice Pups is not currently being No, uh, no, not Ice Pups. You're obsessed with Ice Pups. Have <laughs> Netflix signed up to commission whatever wins this week's poll? Yes. Uh, yeah, once they yes. finish yeah. pups, yeah. Talks are ongoing. Uh, well, it's, it, it's Cash Chaser for me. I've already said for me, it's it's Flight Tip Squad. Tom? Ooh, I'm keen on Gibraltar CID. Uh, I'm going to go for Scotland's Strongest Man. <laughs> I Lovely. absolutely love Channel 5's uh, current run of uh, Strongman shows. <laughs> Genuinely do watch. They are brilliant. Me too. But to be clear, I... it's, not, it's not Norfolk's maddest man. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Uh, my favourite thing about Channel 5's Strongest Man is that uh, there's a lot of build-up, but as the second it begins, one of them is clearly way stronger than the other one. It was never a good contest. Uh, it's just... Oh, wait, it's just watching yeah, a large man get disappointed for three minutes over and over again. Um, yeah. So they, show, they then move on to this time and they show a clip with, I thought, a very lingering hand on Jenny's knee. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did, anyone, yeah. did, did anyone note how long the hand was on Jenny's knee for? No. no. It's uh, seven seconds. 
which doesn't seven seconds too long right which doesn't sound a lot but you put your hand on someone's knee on the tube for seven seconds and see what happens (laughs) (laughs) i'll Um, try that tomorrow morning this clip ends very strangely there's a photo of john shaking hands with alan so we do know they've had a previous encounter i mean in the real world it's been quite badly photoshopped hasn't it alan's face looks massive in this photo Mm. well my question was are we to believe that that photo is actually real or that's something that alan has made up using an old photo of john and a cut out of his head Um, because it's it's so bad that is that the joke that might be the joke (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I wondered if um, I wondered if John had ever been a rival of Alan's, but I think that John's career, if it started in '85, John was already doing probably Cash Chaser, Britain's Holiest <laughs> Hymn, at the point that Alan was just becoming a sports reporter. Yeah, so, I, I feel like John's career has always put him out of reach of, of Alan. Basically, he's never been a threat. No. Uh, so, uh, Telly John was larger than life. Uh, another reference to John's weight there. Um, <laughs> But Private John, as we learn, devoted himself without fuss or fanfare to his charitable foundation, the John Baskell Foundation. Can you tell us more about the humble work of John's foundation, the John Baskell Foundation, is, is John's widow. Also a bit weird that uh, he pronounces John's surname Baskell, but when he comes to talking about his widow, it's Baskell. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, that's so I, good. I, I only clocked that on a, on a rewatch. Do you know what that, that really reminded me of the John Fashnu, John Fashnu, John Fashanu joke in the day to day? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I, I do think the way he's going, Baskell is still enforcing that thing. He's not just John, as far as Alan yeah. is concerned. Yeah. And also um, that he's not at all humble. It's like, yeah, he's got a charitable foundation. He's named after himself for maximum uh, publicity. Yeah. That's the joke, point. surely. Is, yeah. is it's like, he's very humble, no fuss or fanfare. His foundation, the John Baskell Foundation, <laughs> that he's named after himself. You know. It's multi layered. That's why it's so good. Good. Yeah, the joke yeah. works on a couple of levels. Uh, uh, did anyone else think the fact he sings the last line of Candle in the Wind at the end of the VT was a bit shit? I didn't yeah. like that. It, it yeah. reminded me of uh, last week's episode where they mm. end the hand washing scene and they just yeah. it goes on too long. And it's I just think the writing uh, that the Gibbons produced is so high that stuff like this mm. just it kind of undermines um, things because just think well you know you're better than that you are better than that and this isn't particularly funny unfortunately. Uh, is it time for the re-entry of what I like to call Dark Lynn? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Alan's got problems in his garden. Well, actually, could, could, uh, could I just say, so with this point um, where uh, Lynn comes in, I like to think that this happens all the time where, you know, it's kind of like, and cut, and, you know, then Alan goes, oh, you know, like, he wasn't all that kind of thing. And I just think that must happen on TV all the time where TV personalities have to sort of paint on uh, smiles and it's all lovey-dovey and then it's like cut and they're like, oh, my God, that guy's an absolute... <laughs> This, that, Can confirm. Can <laughs> yeah. confirm. Right, so we pass over to Tom Dark, who is now going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. But you, you know, it's that thing. It's exactly as quickly as we see this happen in the show. The moment that the VT has gone to air, everyone's focusing on something else. They've moved on. It's so even though it might be something which is supposed to be overall with emotion, they don't give a shit. It's literally they're going through the process. So uh, they're going. Hang on, hang on. Sorry, they're going through the process. I'll just put my teeth back in. <laughs> uh, yes, so obviously uh, it cuts back to uh, it cuts to Alan and Lynn talking. Um, Alan describes John as a boar who ate too much sirloin until his colon threw in the towel, which I thought was <laughs> which I thought was another line. 
Uh, so yeah, Alan's having trouble in his garden. Uh, ramblers are coming through. Uh, Lynn, initially, it seems like she's got good news that it's not mm. a uh, it's not a public foot, uh, footpath. Praise be. But it is a public bridle way, which means not only people, but horses. Um, uh, I like that she mistakes, uh, gets a turn of phrase wrong and says that it's fallen into public convenience, which Alan says, <laughs> yeah. I wish you'd fall into a public convenience. <laughs> He's on a bit more of an even footing with Lynn this time, isn't he? I felt last week it yeah. was more like he was being handled or manipulated, but uh, yeah. I, I, I thought I thought so too, and I'm keen to discuss that a bit. But I, but whilst we're dwelling on the bridleway horses issue, did you guys notice this line? She says, "I quite like the idea of horses galloping across my view." Now, does that mean it's her view or just a view? Because somebody did tweet us saying, "Holy shit, does Lynn with, live with Alan?" I don't think that's what it means. No, I think it just means. She likes the idea of being able to see horses wherever yeah. she might be. Yeah, I don't believe they cohabit. I mean, unless no. she unless she's in some kind of shed at the end of his garden, but this like li- living staff like yeah. Sonia became is a wild theory. I have to say, if Alan did revert to sitcom type, that would be an amazing twist that Lynn is now living with Alan. That sounds very much like an ITV Alan to me. <laughs> a, a sort of, it feels a, a bit Mrs. Brown's boys, actually. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't like it. It's not that it. bad. Be icky. real. Um, I've, I've got some general thoughts about uh, the transition from uh, Lynn to Dark Lynn. Um, my theory cool. here is that if you think about, about Lynn's transition, she's been Alan's PA for decades now. Their mm-hmm. biggest falling out in Alpha Papa was five plus years ago. She knows she's going nowhere and that basically for the rest of her life, her fortunes and Alan's are now completely interlinked. And I think that's why she's taken on this kind of slightly more mercenary fortune favours the bold time is upon us. Lady Macbeth, the omen type feel is that is that she knows she knows that basically she might as well go hell for leather on Alan's career because that is her ticket to happiness. I totally agree with that. I think that makes perfect sense. But I I think it's interesting seeing this dynamic, and we've only seen it in brief glimpses so far. The thing about it feels like the two of them are on more level pegging with each other. So when Alan asking her to recite lines from The Omen, it's like a bonding thing. It's It's not the Alan of the 90s. It's not the Alan of I'm Alan Partridge where he's a bit of a bully to her. It's like they're kind of sharing in that moment, which I don't think we've really seen before. Apart from maybe... Apart from maybe an Alpha Papa when he thinks he's dying and stuff like that. They're almost co-conspirators, aren't they? It is a kind mm, of Macbeth-Lady yeah. Macbeth relationship in some respects. I just I love the bit where she says, for, was it, is it fortune favours the brave that for, she says? Fortune, fortune favours fa- the bold. Fortune favours the bold. As she kind of turns her head around, looking around as if like there might be spies around. I just think it's so good. Yeah. And I, would, I can't wait to find out if this develops anywhere, whether this kind of becomes more prominent in the quote-unquote plot of this time whether there is a kind of Lynn arc coming that they're slowly building to well we'll get to uh, Predictor Partridge later well I've just done one then haven't I Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, one other thing I noticed about this section with Lynn and I think it was kind of similar last week a lot of her lines are delivered with her back to the camera um, which I just thought was quite a weird way to do things and almost a bit like have they had to overdub things and do a bit of ADR on those sequences or is is it just to add a kind of element of mystery the way she's introduced because I do remember when we were at the screening they did talk about using anti-framing as a bit of a device to add reality to it I think it's that I guess that's a deliberate ploy to make her a bit more 
bit more witchy and terrifying while she uh, scurries away. And obviously they're ready to throw to the next section and Alan is not quite ready, so there's a very, very quiet fuck, <laughs> panicked fuck, <laughs> yep. as he runs to the tweet wall. Or the uh, Simon Denton area. To, <laughs> yes. to sector, te, sector Simon in the Denton quadrant. Uh, Simon, Simon's clearly been... Simon's clearly been brief. He's clearly been briefed to within an inch of his life since last week's uh, tech disaster, hasn't he? The tweet map's already up. He's confident with the tech. Yeah. The tweets are loading. Um, and he seems more confident. He says to Alan, a lovely speech at the top of the show, very moving, much better than in the car. Uh, so we know that the uh, proof that Alan's off-the-cuff uh, response was uh, very much rehearsed. Uh, and then it's time for some live grieving. Um, some tweets come in. Rest with the angels, you lovely man. We miss John dearly. The show will never be as good without him. Um, <laughs> The first of a few mentions of the show not being as good without John Allen correcting to say, yeah, you're right, the show will never be the same. Uh, I was, just, I, it'll just be different. I, yeah. I was a big fan of the line, uh, he'll be scrolling in his grave. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when uh, Alan goes, uh, oh, he's in the morgue, and uh, Simon just responds with, keeping cool. <laughs> well, yeah, I, th- I think he's actually like, yeah, keeping cool. <laughs> and I did that whole exchange, I didn't really clock what they were saying until like the third watch it's like there are just so many layers of gags coming in this script i think it's it's really interesting how you don't necessarily pick up on everything like that straight away because i thought that was brilliant um there's a, a tweet comes in hello alan where get shoes um is there is there a joke i'm not getting here or is this just about alan's disdain for the general public that that no one could ever afford his actual shoes so he advises them to go for plastic slip-ons from a mark i think we're probably going to make the same point that it's an opportunity for him to assume that he's on, you know, a, a either a higher salary or, you know, that this person isn't going to have the wealth um, or privilege that he has. Therefore, he'll just provide a lower option. And in this case, it's plastic slip-ons, which you can get at, at any market. <laughs> he, he, he thinks, surely it's that he thinks that they've written this tweet so badly, they must be thick and therefore they must also be poor. <laughs> that, yeah, basically yeah. that. It's, it's idiotic broth. Speaking of which, more tweets come in. You is the best. No one will ever fill yo shoes, fella. Gonna miss ye. Uh, I met you at a local fair. You were a lovely chap. Will be missed enormously. And TV won't be the same without JB. Also, gone too early. Another star will shine in heaven. Uh, it's probably worth pointing out at, at this juncture that uh, we did discover that the uh, at this time show Twitter is real, although it's locked, so you can't see whether they've tweeted anything. Uh, but a lot of these tweets that you see on the show are real tweets that exist. If you sh- if you uh, if you search for this time show in Twitter, you can see quite a lot of these. So I thought that it's quite an interesting kind of geeky fact where you can figure out what days they were shooting in the studio and stuff like that when these had been being made to go on the wall it was about was quite it was fun. about april last year wasn't it uh, i think something like I that think, yeah. i think so i also drilled down and found that a couple of the tweets into this time show are actually from members of uh the baby cow uh production company that made the show oh, um, absolutely so wow yeah. genuine people yeah. Um, Alan gets very caught up in the idea of this tweet map uh as if it was uh related to air raids yeah uh sp- specifically trying to work out why people would bomb Devon. Uh, Psychic <laughs> Simon says there's a meat processing plant in Columpton. Uh, did anyone else do a deep dive on the meat processing plant? I, no. can, I can confirm that there is one. Uh, it is true. Operations were suspended in 2017. Uh, I believe Nick has covered this, uh, 
this um, oh, issue this on the, a previous. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The oh god, what are they called? Something the, sisters. The two um, sisters food group. Uh, an undercover sting found inadequacies in the meat processing plant, uh, and it was owned by two sisters food group, who we've exposed on a previous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're kind of like a part Alan Partridge deep dive comedy podcast, part investigative journalist. Uh, exactly exactly that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're not afraid to uh, to bounce about with some leopard seals, but we will also chase a man wearing a giraffe mask into a lift. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Alan seems baffled as to why why they would uh, attack our our poultry, why an enemy um, would want to attack them, uh, and just saying the smell would be absolutely. Oh, delicious! <laughs> did, uh, did anyone else think the, the the Britain is at war thing was just like they announce uh, Britain being attacked by Russia in uh, mid morning matters as well? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or was it Cromer? Cro- There's something about Cromer Pin yeah. as well in. Yeah, like, yeah. Cromer has fallen or whatever. Cromer has fallen. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, the tweets are flooding in. Had a heart attack myself two years ago. Since then, I've become a vegetarian and I'm toying with becoming vegan. But I do love milk. Still sad to lose John. Did he also like milk? <laughs> Um, they're getting more narcissistic and inane as we go on I remember watching you on the Seaside Summer Special in Great Yarmouth in the early 90s brilliant show still chuckle at you trying to dance like a scarecrow hilarious wish I taped it can't find it on YouTube God bless two kisses the idea that someone is talking directly to the deceased John Baskell complaining that they can't find him dancing like a scarecrow on YouTube says a lot about people's attitudes to dead celebrities also, oh very important, this is all in the spelling rather than the, the uh, pronunciation, <laughs> he will be missed, M-I-S-T. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's one more tweet I've made a note of, uh, but it's actually quite hard to spot, and I think this is the most damning tweet of all. Adam, do you have this on your list? No, but I know, the... what you're, I know what you're going to say, but I don't have it. Okay, so I, I think you, you see this for maybe one second on screen. A lot of the other ones they kind of cut back and forth so you get time to read most of what they say but this one which i think is uh, more evidence of thing uh, bad things hiding in plain sight uh, is at this time show john came to open the music center at my school and made us all laugh by dressing in shorts and pretending to be a pupil <laughs> mm. did you guys did you guys spot no, that no i didn't spot that no no, 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 no. i didn't I mean, um, I think somebody did tweet us about it as well, but I've been going through doing the screen grab. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to spot, but that the is the most damning of all. Is John. Simply John. Um, as Alan um, says, some sweet messages there, some of them obviously quite thick, but no less sincere. <laughs> Uh, I say he just hates where, the general public. Yeah, there's, there's a bit where Alan loses himself um, again, where he, uh, he he gets kind of like worked up about the fact that Norwich is under attack and there's fifty thousand kids, and then just has to kind of like snap himself out of it. Goes, oh, I, I forgot what was real then, and just says, "Did you, Simon?" To which Simon just says, "No." And he goes, a, "A bit, a bit though, a bit though." <laughs> like, <laughs> trying to loop Simon in. Yeah. Um, there's audience participation coming up, isn't there? Yes, there is. Uh, yep. Jenny uh, says he affected so many people from his viewers to his colleagues to the homeless his charity helped. I thought, again, that's slightly ominous sentence structure. Um, to which Alan says he used to bring them off in the street. Uh, so this is kind of a repeat of the hat hard on joke that he's made before in Partridge, uh, where he basically says something the wrong way, tries to correct himself, says it again. Um, I've noticed on Twitter, right, the writers are getting some stick for repeating joke formats. I know in episode one there was something that, that was repeated from Nomad. But surely it's natural that Alan would have certain types of mistakes that he would repeat. I mean, does every joke have to be 100% original? Oh, I would also say on this, like, personally, it's... they 
yeah, they absolutely do repeat jokes, and and you can see them quite frequently repeat like joke tropes, but. I would always say, as someone that likes Only Fools and Horses, hearing the same joke <laughs> over and over again is not a problem. And I think you've got to forgive them um, that like, if a joke works and it can be nuanced and it can be amended and tweaked, I, I would never hold that against them. If the joke is good, um, repeat away. And also, like in reality, some people do have some sort of vocal tics or vocal tropes that they, they repeat. Mm. That's just kind of how they talk. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that this could just be something that a person does. I also yeah. think, is this arguably a Freudian slip for Alan? Because, don't forget, Dave Clifton wanked off tramps. Yes, he did. <laughs> Very good. Good call, back. Yep. There we go. It all makes sense. It really does. Uh, and as he says, I'm sure that does go on. Bloody awful business, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he knows it goes on. He knows it goes He's, he's heard secondhand, and that's close enough. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Annie we're talking to has been a fan of John for a long time uh, it turns out that she wrote to John every month and he never wrote back yet she's still there to pay tribute um, there's something a bit simple about these audience members is it fair to say there is a certain type in daytime TV audiences the sort of people who are, make themselves available to trot down and queue up outside loose women in the rain for two hours well think about it they've mostly got to be unemployed or <laughs> yeah I'll leave yeah. that yeah. <laughs> we're, we're... We won't, we won't dive too deep into it, but yeah. I mean, the people who make this time are obviously trying to say something about the calibre of people that would turn up for a show like this. Um, I'm a big fan of Annie. Um, I, there was just a little thing that I, I noticed on the fourth watch. I've watched this thing four times, bloody hell. Um, and That's more dedicated than the rest <laughs> of us, I think. Um, there's a little bit which I only spotted on the fourth time, which is when she goes, he was such a lovely man, and then pauses for a second and then goes, not like some of them. Because Alan, Alan is sort of talking over the top of her and you're kind of focusing on alan but if you focus on annie she goes not like some of them which is obviously uh, a nod to uh, other bbc or noted television presenters she's got about 17 minutes of bliss before <laughs> that comes crashing down to haunt her. um it's it, again it's a bit of a comment on everyone's reactions to a famous death that that a man that ignored basically ignored her for years she's still come all the way down to pay tribute to him it reminds me a bit there's a Stuart Lee bit he does about Princess Diana's death uh, a few years ago which is one of my favourite bits of comedy where he basically says that people are leaving flowers outside her home and, and you know and saying oh you know there's a Princess Diana memorial fountain it's what she would have wanted and as Stuart Lee says it's not what she would have wanted is to not have died and failing that in death <laughs> to have not become the unwitting receptacle for the hysterical shrieking grief of twats <laughs> which is one of my favourite lines in comedy and this reminded me of that quite a lot I mean, yeah, that that perfectly sums it up, doesn't it? Um, Alan has to hand the mic to somebody else to try and find a tissue in his pocket. Uh, this unintentional, terrible mic technique is A, funny, and B, really reminds me of some classic times recording monkey tennis. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk into it. Yeah. Um, is this uh, the point as well where he starts talking about his dimmer switch um, story, which goes in great detail about some of the issues he was having um, with his dimmer switch and uh, goes on to talk about the time when he found out uh, the news of John's death. Did you, I, I thought the dimmer switch, because he goes into the technicalities of the problem with it, is a bit like uh, in something like iPartridge when he goes in talking mm. about uh, FM radio frequencies and stuff like That's that. Exactly he's just filling, he's of, filling yeah. air, isn't he? Yeah. And the other thing, um, again, because I've seen this thing four times, uh, on the fourth time, I just... When I find when I rewatch them, um, I tend to focus on 
what is going on either in the background or what other people are doing who aren't talking. And some of the facial expressions that Jenny does during this dimmer switch story are just so brilliant. So good. I recommend, I actually, I kind of recommend if you do watch these on repeat, just kind of have a look and see what's going on in the background or what other people are doing with their faces. When then, when someone else is talking, you get some real gold. Fantastic. Um, yeah, he also, uh, he's going through his pockets looking for a tissue. Uh, he finds in the middle of a conversation about, about dead John, he finds a Matalan card and just goes, Matalan. Um, did anybody give any thought to, to the way that he finds out that John died? Um, he receives three texts. Yeah. The, the first one, yeah. guess who's dead? The second one, John Basket. The third one, Baskell. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't he doesn't say who sent them, but you know it's Lynn, don't you? And all yeah, the clues 100%. are there. The gossipy first text, guess who's dead? The underlying subtext of Alan's career opportunities and her overexcited fingers flubbing the spelling of Baskell. It's got to be Lynn that told him. Yes, and again, that is perfectly reflected in the I Partridge book when he talks about his assistant texting him. I don't think she's very good at using predictive text. Yeah, uh, I also enjoyed that Alan uh, just texts back with VS, very sad. <laughs> also, that's not a thing. No, that's the joke. Is that, uh, that's the joke, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Alan picks up a griever of his own, Ted at the back there, and says to him, in all sadness, what did John mean to you? <laughs> Uh, Ted, Ted again uh, says the show won't be as good without him. Alan says, "Yep, the, the show won't be the same." Um, yeah, we have of course uh, missed the bit where the man falls off the stage when Alan asks uh, the audience to budge <laughs> yeah. up. I mit- when we went to go see this at the BBC, I casual little clang there. Um, uh, I completely missed this. Everyone just burst out laughing, and I had no idea what was yeah. going on, and just saw like the this time sign sort of rippling on the side. I completely missed it. Uh, so obviously, but that, I think that's why it's so good. Sorry, I think that's why it's so good because it happens in silence. Yeah. So you have to be looking at the right place, and then also uh, when towards the end of the scene, the the woman that was sat next to the man that falls off, she's just looking down at the side. <laughs> Ted is played by Bill Fellows, who is basically British acting royalty. He has been in everything under the sun. I'm talking Casualty, Holby, Bill, Enders, Heartbeat, London's Burning, (laughs) Tom and Mike's personal favourite, Waking the Dead, Broadchurch, Downton, and actually my personal favourite, and I don't think this is going to register with any of you, Dream Team. Which, oh, I know Dream Team. Which was an amazing oh. sort of mid, like sort of late nineties football soap opera, soap on Sky opera. One, which was amazing. I've, I've, I've heard of it. I, I also looked at his uh, IMDb listing, which I'm pretty sure is what you did as well, Tom. Yeah. Uh, he was also in The Tripods, which was a sci-fi show from the late eighties. I don't know if anyone else remembers that old man dark here. Do but not remember The Tripods. The tripods is brilliant, and Nick, <laughs> no. Nick, you're a fan of War of the Worlds. So it'd be right up your street. Wild Woods the tripod. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've gone again. Google so, it. That's so the tri- can I find it on YouTube? If the tripods are on YouTube, uh, don't know. Have a look. Google Strictly it. Strictly VHS only. Um, Betamax. Uh, oh, so Ted. Oh, so producer Jed will probably have oh, a copy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Ted. Ted, the guest Alan's talking to, comes down a few times a week, not to be in the audience, but just on the off chance they'll let him in, and sometimes he just waits outside. Um, it's a very sad tale. It basically emerges that his children have been taken into care because he does the round trip from Sunderland to the studios every week and leaves them with someone that lives downstairs. <laughs> Absolute bizarre behaviour. Um, Do we think that Ted uh, could know uh, Michael? Well, somebody, uh, we have a bit of feedback uh, that 
goes into a bit more detail with that theory so we could perhaps park that till the end um i uh, retweeted something from the monkey tennis account which i think is brilliant is that obviously the writers have gone to the level of research and detail that uh Ted's story of it taking him, of him getting home about a quarter six in the morning if he gets the 10 o'clock from London King's Cross is absolutely accurate. So if you were to get the 10 o'clock from London King's, London's King's Cross, that would get you into Newcastle at quarter past two in the morning. You then have to walk from Newcastle Station to Newcastle Central Station, and then you have to wait from 2.24 a.m. until 5.13 a.m. when the Newcastle Central Metro will take you to Sunderland. Um, wow. So even the three-hour gap he mentions is accurate. A hundred percent. Yeah, it is. They've wow. gone to that level of detail, which I think is brilliant. Um, can anyone remember the three things that Ted does while he waits at Newcastle train station for three hours? <laughs> uh, well, he has, has, a, has a smoke. Yes. Has a think. Think. Yes. And the third walks one, around a bit. Walk, walks about. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a great use of three hours in the middle of the night. Um, they they cut to a VT that we don't see, which is a montage of children's pictures accompanied by a track called Glockenspiel Dreams 1. Did this ring any bells for anybody? No. Glockenspiel Dreams was a track played on Mid-Morning Matters in the episode where Alan is attempting to do a chill-out show. Uh, and I think it's a CD that he got through the magazine or a compilation of, of library music that he found. So uh, he's recycled that for the uh, the backing music of the uh, the kids' picture right. montage. Why is he getting choices of what music is being played on this show? I think we have to suspend reality here, don't we? We do a little bit. Um, it's time to meet. <laughs> so after oh. sixty hours, like we've done sixty episodes of this show, totaling probably what sixty hours plus. At this point, we realise sometimes you will have to suspend reality <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I have to suspend reality so that I don't think about the fact I spent sixty hours talking about partridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the recording. So at this point. We meet Sam, uh, played by Simon Farnaby, who most of you will recognise uh, as a rival detectorist from The Detectorists. Um, he's also uh, one of the leads in a fantastic film called Bunny and the Bull, which I really recommend. Uh, it's sort of craft, papier-mâché, weird uh, drama with Noel Fielding, Gillian Barrett. Really, really great. He was also recently the co-writer on Paddington 2, which uh, I think was better than Paddington 1. I mean, they're both brilliant, but um, obviously Farnaby Ooh. stepped up as a co-writer and did a brilliant job. I think that film's amazing. Uh, he or someone that sounds very much like him is also doing the voiceovers for uh, Channel 4 items at the moment, I noticed. So uh, he's everywhere. Um, but uh, we learn about the character Sam immediately that he has a farm and they bought a new cult. That's the first indication of his privilege. And did anyone think the way Je- the way Jenny greeted him, it's, it's almost like greeting a long-lost lover or something, a bit over-familiar for someone that she's done some co-hosting with. I thought that was mm. quite interesting. Yeah, a little bit almost John-esque in his sort of like touchy feeliness. Uh, mm. Yeah, a bit strange. Um, it's then uh, it's then revealed that uh, Sam had been contacted to step in for this time, uh, but was unavailable. So my question to mm. the group is: just how far down the list was Alan? All the way at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they tried everyone, then they tried Eamon Holmes. He said no, because it was his birthday and he'd been painted gold, so they went with Alan. <laughs> so you recently uh, see um, how much the audience loves Sam as well. I mean, literally, a woman in the audience says, we love you, Sam. And you've got Alan kind of standing next to him with his arms aloft, almost indicating, like, love me too, as well. And I thought the body language and the interplay between Alan and Sam is brilliant. Uh, Alan, 
essentially immediately hates how adored he is. He's on his phone, he's drinking his tea, he's not engaging, there's barely <laughs> eye contact. And when he get when he goes to shake hands with Sam, it's amazing because Sam kind of does it as part of a turn. It's like it's barely even a handshake. It's so cringy. It's brilliant. It's, it's the sort of handshake you see like celebrities on the red carpet do. Like they're they're doing the rounds. Handshake you, handshake you, handshake you. Like just working their way down a, down mm. a crowd of people. Yeah. Also, as they turn away, you see people in the audience kind of turn to each other, astonished, and mouth the word Sam, like they can't believe that he's turned up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I predict that Alan is going to settle in to this role, but I think that Sam may come back at the end of the series. Uh, and I've got a bit more intel on that uh, once we get into our Sam discussion a bit further. Um, Alan's trying to explain that he's got another big iron in the fire because he's a D-jock. Why does he keep saying D-jock instead of disc jockey <laughs> or DJ? It's just something he thinks he's invented, I guess. Well, I think he clearly thinks that's a phrase that the kids would use. Yeah. But obviously we all know the kids wouldn't even be listening to radio, let alone saying the words D-Jock. Uh, he names all of uh, Holistic Media's stations. Uh, <laughs> holistic Media, now the owners of Shape, I think. I thought it's a nice use of the word holistic, a word that's meaning has been stretched so much it's almost as vague as Shape. <laughs> so, the, the, so this is the thing. So in Alpha Papa, Shape took over North Norfolk Digital. Yes. Yep. So they've we can now, assume that now there's been some other kind of radio merger that's happened. They've, they've been absorbed by holistic media. Please try and keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't um, keep up. What do you mean? You, so yet, what do you mean you haven't heard of Cathedral Digital? <laughs> <laughs> do we need to talk about the uh, the other stations that Alan uh, names in an attempt to uh, get Sam to understand what North Norfolk Digital is? Should we do a rapid fire of the names? Go ahead. Crown FM, East of England Radio, Cathedral Digital, The Wash, The Groove, The Buzz, Lavender FM, <laughs> Lavender Digital, Fisheries Radio, <laughs> Yarmouth Rocks, Wald FM, and Radio Orwell. It's fair to say Lavender FM and Lavender Digital will just be the same station on different frequencies, won't they? Yep. Yeah. Just wasted seconds saying both yeah. names. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I'd like to throw in a little game for my co-hosts. Um, I've Ooh. got a short list of fake and real radio stations and I'm going to read out the names and I want you to identify whether you think they are real or whether they are made up. Right, so here's the first one. Biggles FM. <laughs> fake. Yeah, fake. Fake. It's real. <laughs> it broadcasts on 104.8 FM to Biggles Wade, Potton, Sandy and surrounding villages in mid-Bedfordshire. Pa- <laughs> Panda Radio. Real. Fake. I'd, I'd like to believe it's real, so majority says real. Real. It is a DAB station yes. in London. Radio <laughs> Norwich. Ooh, Ooh, but fake. it's like Norwich... It, yeah, it's like Norwich FM or, you know... Yeah. yeah. This is He's trying to do us on a technicality here. I think it's fake. It is fake. It's from I'm Alan Partridge. It is Radio Norfolk. <laughs> it is Radio Norfolk. Uh, uh, yeah. Next one, 100% whatever. That sounds so bad, <laughs> yeah, it must be real. real. Oh, it's real, isn't it? It is real. It's a local radio yes. station in Somerset. <laughs> the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, fake. fake. I'm going to say fake or possibly real but American. It is real and it broadcasts in Crew and Nantwich. <laughs> Oh my god. And the last one. <laughs> the cats. <laughs> and the last one. Radio Fab FM. Oh god, I feel like so many of these Oh, no, true. isn't isn't that Smashy and Nicey's fictional radio station? 
You are correct, Adam. It is yes. fake. It is indeed Smashy and Nicey's radio station. And that completes my Brilliant. mini quiz. Fantastic. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, some so more tweets cat, came cat, in. The cat. The cat. The cat. Tune in tomorrow. <laughs> in <summary. laughs> Nick, we've got to move on, but yes, the cat. Uh, some, more twe- some more tweets have come in, and the spelling is atrocious. <laughs> R.I.P. John, spelt J-O-N. Thoughts with Jenny and the team. Stay strong, Jenny. Must be so hard for you. Three kisses. John Backel, gone but not forgotten. Again, surname spelled wrong. Uh, John was a great guy. So funny, too. Such a sad loss to us all. Uh, and then uh, a great line from uh, Alan. He says, as the Dalai Lama says, the show must go on. Um <laughs> Now, I can't remember the source. It might have been the Q&A. It might have been an interview that Gibbons gave. But this line went through several phases. I think initially it was just the show must go on. And then they basically did a bit of a round robin trying to attribute it to increasingly funny celebrities. And then eventually they landed on, as the Dalai Lama says, the show must go on. That was the funniest combo they could find. Uh, Alan's exposed as a a kooks knocker. Have I pronounced it right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the use of anagrams. It's a good little callback to the Knowing Me, Knowing You days as well. Uh, with, dirge uh, Anal Pratt. Anal, anal, anal Dirge, dirge Pratt. Yep. Oh, uh, and what was Nick? Anal Chlorides. Nick, Nick, is, Nick yeah. Holder is an yeah. anagram of anal chlorides. Yeah. Um, <laughs> never forget, never forget. Was anyone else not familiar with the phrase cocking a snook? Or am I the only one here who, didn't, who hadn't heard of that? I had I had heard familiar. it, but it is a very old-fashioned phrase. Yeah, because you cock a snook, or Jenny says you cock a snook at bad news. I wasn't familiar with the phrase cocking a snook. It's basically when you put your thumb up to your nose and go sort of like wiggle your fingers right. like that with your palm open like that. I wasn't familiar with that. There you go. Uh, I, lo- I loved it when Jenny pushes down the clipboard yes. that has cocksucker written on it. The, the comedic timing of that was just absolutely yeah. perfect. It's up, the hand is up, and then it's down. And then Great. that immediately follows with a cut to Simon looking panic, and then he just sort of sticks his tongue out for no apparent reason. <laughs> this is one thing that, that, that this time does very well, is they sort of manufacture that kind of manic camera cutting that you get on live shows where they're not where mm. they they've accidentally cut to the wrong camera momentarily and you know it's it's easy to forget that that's all been planned for the purposes of this series yeah. it's really yeah good. it is really good mm. um alan's rattled and just goes funny simon denton what's funny about history uh, and then we <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, and then they say, uh, and uh, we'll we'll shortly be talking to Sam. Sam says hello, and I goes shortly, <laughs> Hold, <laughs> holding him off. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and it feels like this next bit of VT, Alan's prepped it seemingly just to upstage Sam because it kind of unfolds that Sam is not really a history expert, and I think uh, and and that it's nepotism that basically got Sam the job. So I think Alan is a bit kind of like I'm the history person. If we're going to interview this guy, I'm going to have my history moment first. Well, before before we get into that that history VT, I think it's worth uh, flagging the line uh, when Alan's saying about history never runs out, unlike love and a marriage, which I thought was a nice little Carol reference. Yes, or possibly a reference to Jenny, who we believe is separated, although she doesn't react because she is a consummate professional. And I had noticed it's oh, just double layers. And I wa- and yeah. I did notice that she is very much wearing a wedding ring in this episode. And a few people on Twitter pointed out that she was wearing one in the previous episode as well. Okay, confirmed. So, uh, do we think do we think that's just for keeping up appearances, or do you think that Alan is wrong and she is actually married? I think we'll probably find out, won't we? I think that will probably yeah. be something. Hopefully, that we more will yeah reveal itself over the coming weeks. Mm. Um, 
the battle reenactment scene. I'm not wild about this. Same. I don't know about anyone else. Yeah. My my least favorite bit. My favorite bit of this whole section was Alan's massive jacket at the beginning of it, <laughs> <laughs> which presumably is like that to hide the chainmail that is yeah. revealed later in the scene. I guess. I don't think he's wearing the chainmail at no, that point. No, I, I think the gag is no, that he's no. just got a massive coat. Yeah, <laughs> just for fashion. Yeah, I, I think with the chainmail, I think it's just. By the power of bad editing, obviously that's the joke. It just appears in a later shot. I think it's exactly that. He's got a jacket which is way too big for him. I mean, I the only things I've really got of note here is that he uses the word Dilbert again, which is a nice throwback to mid-morning yeah. matters. And then, and much like the sort of monologue that he does at the beginning, the section is really well written and performed, but it's not that funny. But I still enjoyed it to a certain degree, but it's just not brilliant but it is really amazingly acted and written i think but maybe not just maybe not from a comedic point of view it's interesting though i think i've seen a lot of positive reactions to it on social media so it it, i guess with something like this it does come down to taste but yeah for me with the two episodes so far i think this is my least favorite section that we've had but I'd agree, there are some good bits. Uh, the Kirsty Allsop saying a well-fed dog is a slow dog, I thought was fun, because again, l- that's where they've attributed to a random celebrity. I love those uh, lines, because although although they're not true, I sort of feel like what they tell you about that celebrity feels true. <laughs> like, and there's like, a thing about playing squash against Adrian Childs as well. Yeah, um, and also the, the kind of the, the thrust of this whole section, uh, which I think gets lost in amongst all the kind of choreography and fighting, is that basically there's been a peasant's result, which is an absolute slaughter. But Alan says that rather than uh, their employers giving them poor wages, it's basically the peasant's fault because they didn't raise their concerns through the proper channels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know the bit in uh, "Welcome to the Places of My Life" when he's in the council chambers about the parking dispute. Yes, um, that's <laughs> basically that's what he wanted. That this VT is yeah. what he wanted that to be like, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and a quick question to the group: Did he get the butcher's waste from Bannon's the butchers? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I expect so. Yeah. Um, there's also a bit where there's another implication that he usually beats Adrian Childs at squash, but was once beaten after having too big a breakfast. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and last week we had Alan say uh, Chinaman Square, and this year, we, uh, this year, this episode we have uh, Alan saying uh, wars like the First World War, the Second World War, and the Great War of China. <laughs> yeah. So I really yes, hope that one... in every episode there's a slight sort of spoonerism involving the word China or the country China. Yeah. Well, t- two on two so far. Yeah. Uh, I think I just had just a couple of other points on this. I. I really like, as he goes to kill a man, you hear him shout, I've got kids, off screen. Yeah. Uh, and just when it's all over, and there are like the, by, like the modern day bystanders, you hear him say, I've been fighting, and there's a pause, and I was the winner. <laughs> with some kind of childish glee, I thought yeah. was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think, I guess, I know the conceit of this bit being over the top is because he made it. So in the APU, as we're now calling it, it makes sense. And that's but, the joke. Yeah, I know, but it, for me... It just felt a bit too over the top. <clears throat> I agree. It, it's kind of like it's too well made. Yeah, really. Even if it was a pear tree thing, like would they really have all that smoke and all those actors and all the accurate kind of get up and stuff? I think Probably this not. is this is the issue they've got is there's an uneasy compromise between the joke of it being made by Alan and therefore it being a bit shoddy, but also it has to be believable that it would be passed by the BBC for broadcast on primetime BBC One. So I think you lose some of the rough edges that you got in things like Scissor Isle, where the entire thing could have been made and put out by him without any interference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we're back in the studio. Uh, Sam Chatwin is here to talk about War Machine, his new show. Uh, he cuts Alan off, uh, and then him and Alan have a bit of a he will. You know, he'll John will be missed. He will. He will. He will. He will. He will. Uh, Alan eventually has the last word. Um, it emerges that Sam's dad was head of factual programming until recently. That gets brought up three times and is clearly the reason that Sam keeps getting so many chances at TV shows. Um, but I did notice he says his dad was head of factual programming until recently. So I wonder if there's a storyline developing here where with his dad no longer being in factual, the gravy train is over soon for Sam and that maybe his past with this time becomes a lifeline that he needs to stay in the presenting world. Oh, interesting. So so you think there might he might become a a rival that exists throughout this whole series? I think possibly. he could he could be this series. He could be to this time what Dave Clifton was to I'm Alan yeah. Partridge. Potentially. Uh, do you guys do you guys remember as well at the uh, BBC screening Clang this I felt like this was the joke that got the best reaction about him uh, about your father was a head of factual programming. Yeah. I feel because it's a bit of a media bit of a knowing joke, crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Sam tells the story of when he was ki- with kids at school shouting about what they wanted to be when they grew up. You know, normal stuff, racing driver, entrepreneur, foreign secretary. <laughs> Once again, showing his privilege. We know he's on a farm. We know he owns a cult. We know his dad's a head of factual. We know that kids at his school realistically wanted to b- and believe they could be foreign secretary. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also think that he probably embodies maybe not so much in 2019, but very much like historically where those in TV have come from in the same way that politics is a lot of Oxbridge and privately educated people. It's white, it's middle-class and he kind of embodies and represents everything that, you know, cause kind of come before then. <laughs> And you see as well, um, when you see a clip from this, uh, from one of his nature programs, it's not really a hard hitting proper nature program. He's no Packham or Nutkins, is he? He's basically doing voiceovers for animals. And so you kind of feel like, yeah, he's had a career in nature. Yeah, he's now going to be doing history, but he's not really a professional or an expert in any of these fields. And so he's just getting, he's kind of like, oh, my dad's head of factual. I fancy a go at history next. And then he gets given a history show, even though he doesn't know anything about it. Alan arguably knows more about history than Sam does. And so there's a bit of extra rivalry there. Yeah, I think you're right about particularly this comedy animal voiceover is not very good. Obviously, I know Alan goes on to do it and it's absolutely terrible. But considering Sam is supposed to be the broadcast professional in this field, it's quite shit. Uh, and I think there's an interesting, whether they're kind of almost drawing these lines of opposition where because Sam is drawn from this upper class world, which Alan isn't from, but perhaps aspires to be a part of. So I think as the episode draws to a conclusion, there's quite a nice way where you're having those kind of those two battles of them being in slightly different worlds and Alan kind of is triumphant, which we'll get on to. Yeah, I thought it was also an interesting uh, little chink of insight where um, Alan talks about the animal voices that he used to do he used to do when he was walking with the kids. Uh, just nice to think that there was a time where he did get to spend time with his kids, <laughs> just taking <laughs> yeah. them out for a walk. Or he's absolutely bullshitting. Yeah, so I mean, you're saying yeah. that Simon Simon the sheep didn't really exist, or Martin Cow? <laughs> well, I think if you're if you're prompted to come up with the genuine names for animals you used to use with your kids, and two of them have the same name, <laughs> aka yeah. Simon Simon the sheep, Martin Cow, Simon the squirrel. Also, he's just looking around and seeing Simon yeah, Denson. Simon, isn't he? Yeah. Amazing. And finally, and, and finally, Chris the bee. <laughs> 
And that's, pro- that's probably a cameraman called Chris. Actually, no, that wouldn't work because as we find out, Alan doesn't even know the name of the makeup woman. Yeah, no, Mary, he doesn't. Marion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Also, I did think that, that forcing this challenge of, of animal voiceovers on Alan is extremely unfair. You've got to bear in mind, Sam had all the time in the world to watch and re-watch that clip and decide something funny to say. Alan's having to make it up without knowing what the animal's going to do next. <laughs> we've, uh, we, we've, we've skipped ahead a little bit of one of the bits that I was a particular fan of, of when, uh, obviously, uh, Sam describes uh, how he and John ended up becoming quite close friends and that they Christmased together, a word that will come back later. Um, Sam kind of, like, stops and just asks if it's okay if he kind of goes and speaks to the audience and he jogs up to the front of the, the uh, audience yeah. The panic in Alan's eyes. He doesn't know what to do. It's like, should he join him? What should he, he's obviously getting the one-upmanship here. And Alan goes to run towards him just as Sam starts to come back, and Alan just goes, "Cheers," and then jogs back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, this is throwing right back, and I'm sorry to, to throw this in, but I've just remembered one of, the, one of the funniest bits of this episode that we've totally skipped over is um, after Alan sources the uh, in the audience participation earlier when Alan sources the tissue with a minstrel in it and gives it to Annie. Um, he then follows it up by finding two after eight mints in his pocket uh, and goes, oh, here you go. One for you to Annie. And then he turns to the woman on the other side of him and just goes, hi, and puts the other one back in his pocket. Yeah, Absolutely wonderful. That is brilliant. Uh, okay, so we've had uh, we've had the animal chat. Uh, we do also have a bit where, uh, obviously, Sam, when he comes back to the sofa, he sits down in Alan's seat on Alan's mm, side. Yes. Now, I remember the bit, absolute power play. Yeah, and I remember the, uh, when we saw this at the Clang BBC, that got a bit of an audible gasp from the audience when that happened. Or they were like, ooh, like they're kind of like, what's going to yeah. happen here? Mm. But, a bit panto. Yeah, it was yeah. a bit panto. And, and he, and he apologises for it, but it, but crucially doesn't no. move. <laughs> um, there's also, did anyone notice Jenny's slip of the tongue at this point? Uh, she's getting very pally with Sam and she says, you're, all, you're, you're always very welcome. I'd love to have you back on the sofa next week very soon. Ah, yes. I didn't notice yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, she, she obviously favours him over Alan and, and is implying that he'll be he'll be back in position next week. So um, just yeah. just after just before Alan does the uh, the animal noise, uh, the animal voices, um, he obviously proclaims that he used to do this for the kids. Do we think that Jenny knows that Alan is making this up and is trying to throw him under the bus a bit and embarrass him? Or does she think he actually does this and can pull it off? I didn't view it like that. I think Alan's been so gung-ho about, well, I used to do this all the time. I think she's gone, okay, well, let's have a fun yeah. live TV moment. Right, okay. yeah. I don't think there's I, malicious I, although, nature to it. I don't know if this is if this is uh, reading too much into the APU, but they had this animal clip and a little picture-in-picture picture, uh, graphic so you could still see Alan's face all set up ready. So... Did they always know they were going to do this, or is this just they've just had to do that for the sake of the comedy? I think they can do that from kind a of... TV point of view. That yeah, because they already had it set up for uh, Sam's piece, so mm-hmm. having those screens set up, they just they were, yeah, that's that's believable. Alan's animal voiceover bit is absolutely excruciating. I hated this bit mm. from a cringe point of mm. view. It was I didn't find it funny at all. I just felt I had like I have to turn the volume down when I see this bit because I can't <laughs> listen to him do it and die so, so you've badly. You've had to turn the volume down four times. Four times. I cannot watch this with the sound on. It is awful. This is my worst kind of comedy. I can't stand it. I find it so bad, difficult to watch. The accent as well that he's doing is a kind of like. It's something in the region of kind of like a northern English accent, but through the prism of someone having a stroke. <laughs> and while, like, he's sort of so slow and like garbled. 
Can I tell you what it reminded me of? Uh, when Kevin and Perry went to see an Oasis concert and came back trying to speak in Manchester yes, accent. So like, All right, there are <laughs> yeah. then, Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, there's also a very kind of muted and brief applause after Alan <laughs> finishes the, uh, the, the clip. Like, the audience aren't impressed. And he tries to justify it by saying, oh, you know, sometimes it's good to try new things. <laughs> Not live on BBC One, mate. Um, so I think it's time for the uh, the episode's biggest bombshell uh, in the form of a tweet uh, that comes in saying, all this bullshit about what a great guy John was, pass me the sick bag, suddenly the floodgates are open, the tone's changed, uh, and Alan is basically on, on a road to victory at this point. Um, Jenny has to uh, specify that the feed is unmoderated. Um, now, I guess... That premise that, that the feed is, isn't regulated is needed for the narrative, but surely a show of this size would not be putting tweets on screen without checking them. Could, they could have had Simon in charge of this, and he could have just loved it, and that's how the tweets got through. That would have made sense. Yeah, it's that suspension of disbelief thing again, isn't it? Because you're absolutely right. There's no way they'd have an unmoderated feed going out on a live BBC One TV show. No certainly, chance. Certainly not one that says, he gave me a pottery lesson and sat behind me wearing Speedos saying, <laughs> I'm like Patrick Swayze in Ghost. It started off as a vase, but by the time he'd finished fondling me, it was just a very wide ashtray. <laughs> oh, God. I can just visualise that as well. Um, visualising uh, John... John Baskell uh, in in speedos uh, fondling a woman. <laughs> so sorry, just to be clear, you're thinking about that very vividly. Well, I've seen Ghost, so I just um, simply substituted Demi John. Moore for a woman. Uh, John um, John Baskell. Are you saying Demi um, Moore Patrick. isn't a woman? No, no, no. I'm saying Demi Moore is substituted for a lovely young lady. Uh, Patrick Swayze is substituted for John, John Baskell. Um, and then, um, you know, they obviously just start uh, making some clay. So, so, <laughs> so if any of our listeners want to find a screen grab of that scene from Ghost and then Photoshop John, John Baskell's head on it, that would be brilliant. And we yes. would definitely share it on our socials with a credit to you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. an- another tweet comes in. The, the tech bods get it off the screen, but Alan's got a backup screen. Uh, and that text reads, I once took a cup of tea to his dressing room and he flopped his gown open, gyrated his hips and twirled his penis around saying, I'm a Catherine wheel, brackets, my name is Catherine. Brilliant. Uh, I, I did wonder, uh, because Alan jumps on these tweets, you know, he, he interrupts Jenny and Sam's chat to say, hang on a minute, the, like, and say what's happening. And obviously we've had set up for a whole episode that Alan clearly doesn't like John. Do we think Alan knew what John was really like? I don't think so. I think he would have... Oh, I don't know. That's not not how I took it. I I, I kind of read into that in more that... Not necessarily that it would come out like that, but in the same way that probably there were rumours going around TV Centre or the BBC about uh, Jimmy Savile, but no one ever spoke about it. But it was kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I, I knew. It, it, it was kind of something right. I was aware of. My so you think maybe suspic- he'd heard rumours? That was my suspicion. And then that kind of explains why when these tweets start to come out, he jumps on it and, you know, just goes for it to kind of tear John, John Baskell, um, uh, apart, essentially. I think Alan is so useless that he would have let that slip to someone if he did have that, that information he would have tried to use it to his, use it to his advantage at an earlier point i think i don't think he would have done a sort of uh, elton john candle in the wind tribute segment either i think there are some things he would, <laughs> he would withstand but that's that's a step too far 
And again, the look that Jenny gives Alan when uh, he says that she's Eastered with him, it says so much like she's furious and at the same at the same time trying to make him shut up through her through her eyes, using her eyes. It's so good. Like the stare that she gives her gives him is like all blood curdling. She's furious. Uh, I would just say that I do genuinely think that Alan is prepared to sacrifice his morals and cover up for a paedophile if it means getting a contract on the BBC. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and Alan says, uh, oh, how sure are you? Stake your reputation on it, sure? Or mini cab controller saying she's sure the taxi will be along in a minute? Because there's different types of sure. Um, and also he, he goes in on him saying, oh, I know you christmas with him, which is a verb I'd not heard before. <laughs> Basically, Alan is 100% on top. And I thought this Alan has a lot more in common with someone like Tommy Saxondale in terms of uh, Coogan characters in that he does get uh, a clear victory and the sort of the narrative across this episode is basically Alan in a room full of people who are extremely reverent and respectful of John Maskell Alan's the only kind of dissenter of any kind by the end of the episode everybody else in the studio is eating their words and Alan has basically bested them all yeah he's basically like a boxer who's just landing the last punches on a sort of swaggering punch drunk fighter mm. until like the knockout blows where he's just like hedge your bets especially at a time of grief uh, and then he just sums it up by saying uh, so in summary he uh, John Baskell on telly did charity work good to friends three marriages now question marks over conduct and that's just the end of it anything else to say and then it's just silence from his co hosts oh and i love go on are oh, you gonna talk about the nose i love it when he's he's like uh, anything else to say sam sam's absolutely silent just rubbing his face and <laughs> just goes playing with your nose <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was gonna say i love that there's like a three beat structure to this very end where you have playing with your nose then the shuttlecock falls and then alan just triumphantly says good night so he's totally taken over and he's an absolute winner by the end of the yeah. episode which I think yeah. it's probably something we've never really seen before. It's fantastic. So what are everyone's thoughts on this episode as a whole? Uh, better than the first? Yeah, I think so. I think so too. I think so too. I, think so too. I, th I also think, think... I think that the first Ooh. episode has quite a lot to do in terms of world building. Why is Alan here? What's going on? Who are these characters? Um, who are these people that, 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 that are going to be part of this new series? And then obviously reintroducing Lynn finding a reason to introduce Simon. So it does a lot of the world building, whereas now we're kind of like let off the leash a little bit. The, you know, the, the, the rules have been established and now it's kind of, mm. this is the, op the rest of the series is now kind of free reign to, to really get into the comedy. Even though the first episode I think was really strong. I think this episode is better. Uh, Nick, but I think the three of us are in agreement. Were you, were you differing of opinion? Uh, my view is that the first episode is definitely stronger whilst i would okay. agree with uh tom's point about it is much more world building scene setting establishing you know the kind of setup and structure of the show i think from a character perspective it's more varied and it's more interesting uh, with the exception of the hacktivist point which i think we discussed at the end that that is one of the weaker sections but i think overall in terms of the outside vts um the variance of characters that you get I think overall for me is stronger there's obviously things about this um, episode that I like but there are significant portions where I just think it lacks a little bit like I don't think that chat with Sam is all that great and I don't think huh. um, the uh, as we've discussed like that battle scene is, is that brilliant so what so well that's what I was going to ask everyone if, if we had to do a quick roundup best moments worst moments where would we land with those because for me I think the worst moment is that battle VT, that whole section I could live without. But then best moment is either the slapstick thing about the guy falling off stage because you don't 
not everybody clocked it. Or it's this end sequence where Alan is finally getting one up on everyone and he is emerging as a victor, which we've never really seen Alan in that position before. I think I'd agree. I think I, th- I think that um, yeah, the, the the VT was was the weakest part, but I still think that last week the the hacktivist was arguably weaker. Um, yep. I think I think overall it's much stronger than the first episode. I also think in this episode, Alan is almost never wrong, um, and he's actually allowed to win. Two things that mm. don't happen very often. I found myself rooting for Alan through the majority of this episode, which has never happened before. Um, I also think it's uh, as well as not having to do so much world building, it's much freer of the the kind of separate segments that the first episode was made up of. It's a bit more free form. The whole show is kind of on a theme rather than it being here's a segment about one thing, here's a segment about something completely different um i think there's a bit more of a hint of narrative thread in that we might see sam again that that kind of you know lynn's continuing to sort of wind him up uh simon is now more competent um and also alan is set aside from everybody else apart from probably simon um because of he's, he's basically suffering all the way through the episode because of his limited knowledge of john because he wasn't as friendly with john and by the end he's basically redeemed he's the only one on set that's not complicit in praising an abuser basically um, so yeah. he's, he, he's, he's scored a big win um, I also thought through the Ice Pups bit in episode one like we know he got the tone wrong but he's also telling the truth he's more accurate than the guest or even the show Ice Pups uh, good w- point it yeah. is in terms of leopard seals aren't cute cuddly friendly animals they will bite your face off and you know they do weigh <laughs> loads and he sort of cuts through the insipid nature of shows like this time and i think his dedication to accuracy is what's got me rooting for him now i sort of feel like it's him against the kind of fake world of of this sort of show of the bbc yeah <laughs> uh personally worst bit um i think uh, Alan's animal noises, I think, or animal voices, that is just my worst, least favourite kind of comedy and having to watch that bit in silence. Um, that or the Battle VT, again, for reasons everyone has said. Uh, and I think my favourite bit, actually, on probably only from the maybe third or fourth viewing, is the last three minutes of the show, which is basically Alan's victory. I think that is such, again, the writing, super quick, super fast punch, the jokes are flowing, it's back and forth, and I just love how Alan emerges victorious. And then, obviously, the punchline of the shuttlecock dropping, that got a big laugh in the, uh, in the, in the BBC screening and kept on getting a big laugh from me every time it happened. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So that's pretty much uh, the sum title of our thoughts on episode two of this time. Tom Stab, have we got any IMDb intel? Certainly do. Uh, so this episode ranking really highly, uh, 8.2 out of 10 uh, from 62 reviews so far. Um, we also have the information on the viewing figures. So this second episode, the initial overnights came in uh, and it was 1.8 million viewers, which is a substantial drop from last time. But what I will say is that, I mean, I, I kind of get that it would be a little bit low because obviously you have the, all the promotional activity, you have all the noise of it being the first episode back. So I, there's always going to be a, a bit of drop off into the second episode. But I believe, as Adam said earlier, a friend of the show, Boyd Hilton, put out a tweet um, today or yesterday about how actually the cumulative numbers were close to 5 million if you include people watching on catch up and stuff like that. that. Yeah. And, for episode and that, one. Yeah, yeah. sorry, for yeah, episode and one. That, and that 49% of the eventual watches of episode one uh, didn't come on the night. They came They came subsequent viewings through iPlayer and things like That's that. That's a huge stat, yeah, so isn't in the, it? In the, mm. Yeah, so in the world of TV, obviously you have overnights, which are literally the figures from what's happened the night before, but then you have consolidated figures, which is for the previous seven days viewing since broadcast. So it'll be re- really interesting to look at next week what the consolidated figures for episode two are and whether it comes back mm-hmm. to the same sort of level yeah, yeah. as episode one or if there are just more people out rambling and drinking in beer gardens. <laughs> um, so it's time to play a quick game of Predictor Partridge, one thing per host uh, that we think is going to happen in episode three. So I'll go first. I predict that there will be either some comedic editing out of John from the opening credits or that Alan will be in them next week recreating John's exact poses. <laughs> That's good. Do you want me to go next? Yes. Uh, I'm going to predict that Lynn is in some way involved in an element of sabotage that means another presenter doesn't get the full-time gig. I am going to guess that the word Brexit is used in the next episode. Hmm. Uh, and finally, uh, mine's actually very similar to Adam's. I've put uh, they will update the this time titles to include Alan. Okay, there we go. All right, well, we'll see what happens next week. Um, at this point, we would usually round up the feedback, but there's been so much of it, we're going to roll it into a separate mini episode, which if you're listening uh, on Wednesday, we'll be dropping tomorrow, Thursday. If you're listening after Thursday, don't worry, it's all ready. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, before we go, there's going to be a review from Lynn 50 our tireless cat PA. But before that, if you'd like to get in touch with the pod, please do. Uh, it's at Monkey Tennis Pod on Instagram, at The Partridge Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook.com slash the partridge pod, the partridge pod at gmail.com, or the monkey tennis hotline is 07923 600 017. We now throw to our tireless cat PA, Lynn 50, for her thoughts on today's episode. Oh, Lynn, I'm not sure about that. Um, I mean, I think you're quite in line with what Nick's feeling, but um, I think you're bang wrong, to be honest. 
<laughs> entirely fair. Um, so that's everything on episode two of this time. Join us tomorrow for a feedback episode, uh, rounding up the latest reviews and your thoughts on this time so far uh, from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Thanks and goodbye. Get a room. Aha! Damn! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Don't know how the noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the bean. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're attacking. Basically, beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please?